So that wraps up the announcements. Let's get right to the show. So again, welcome everyone. I'm Tom Miller. I'm the marketing director here at Baywa RE Solar Systems. And this town hall today is brought to you in partnership between Baywa RE and 17 terawatts. And the CEO of 17 terawatts, Scott Wynn, will be joining us today as well. Thanks to them for their support. And like I said, the topic today is the mind of the solar consumer. Uh, we'll be talking about why solar consumers make the decision to go solar and why they don't. We'll hear about empathetic sales teams, consumer sentiment in new markets versus mature markets, and what behavioral science can teach us about what's inside the mind of those solar consumers. So I'm very excited about this panel. And we already brought Scott Wynn up from 17 Terawatts. Uh, he's our partner today in this event. Um, and Scott is a fellow at the UT Austin, Austin Energy Institute and um, the CEO of 17 Terawatts, like I mentioned. And Scott brings a solar software and user experience to perspective to the town hall today. Um, next up, we have Varun Rai. Varun is the director at the Energy Institute at University of Texas at Austin and a professor at the LBJ School. And one of his core research areas is understanding and quantifying the factors that lead to solar adoption by consumers. Varun, thank you for joining us. You're on mute, by the way, just so you know. Really appreciate you coming. We also have Kelsey Ruger. Kelsey is a product and user experience executive at Hello Alice. He brings a valuable perspective from outside the, the solar industry today. Um, you know, he's focused on harnessing design and technology to develop innovative products. Welcome, Kelsey. Uh, great to have you here today. Thanks, glad to be here. And we also have Stan Pipkin. Stan is the owner of Lighthouse Solar and principal architect of Pipkink. Stan will bring the solar contractor perspective today with consumer insights from over 12 years of running a leading solar company in Central Texas. Thanks for coming today, Stan. And if anyone wants to read a little more about our guests, we'll share their LinkedIn's in the chat and you can say hello to them all. So. A warm welcome to our guests and to our audience. Thank you for all the questions today. If you have more questions, please, please feel free to throw them in the Q&A or the chat. And I encourage our guests to engage with our audience members as well. So I've been talking a lot, but I'm going to talk for just a minute more. And I'm a little hesitant to kick off the, the town hall by sharing a theoretical model. Uh, but I think our audience is pretty savvy, so I'm just going to go for it. So um, this is something I found in Varun's research as, as I was reading uh, some of his research. And Jessica, if you would share the, the TPP model real quick. And because I'm a very visual person, this gave me a window into how theoretical frameworks can be built to examine human intention and behavior and the answers to maybe why consumers make buying decisions. And like I said, it, it's just one theoretical framework uh, that researchers can use, but I think it's really illustrative. So I'm going to do my best to, to describe this really quickly. Then I'll have Varun come on and tell me what I missed and what I not. But um, on the right, um, we have this, this model is called the theory of planned behavior. And on the right, we have behavior. You'll see that that is, for example, an action that a solar consumer might take, like picking up the phone to call a solar contractor. And then to the left, we have the intention. This is where the consumer has the intention of calling, but it's different from the action or the, uh, the behavior. And then we, on the left, we have three attributes, um, if, if that's what they're called, but an attitude, you know, inside the mind of the solar consumer, an attitude might be, you know, is solar positive or negative in my view? What do I think about solar? That, that makes up an attitude. A subjective norm might be, you know, how, how do, do my neighbors think about me possibly going solar? You know, I might, I might think about my uh, relationship to my community and that might influence my decision to go solar. And then finally, at the bottom, we have perceived behavioral control or PBC. And, th and this might be a consumer's perceived ability for them to go solar. Is it easy for me to make a call? to a solar contractor? What's my perception of how easy the whole process will be? So Varun, I'd like to bounce to you right now. Um, I'd like to ask you to, to tell us why it's important to study 
the behavioral and social aspects of going solar. Um, but, but, but before you get to that, you know, what did I miss in this model? I, I mentioned it's just one model that scientists use. Is there anything else you want to talk about here um, before you comment on the, on the broader behavioral and social aspects? Great. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for having me here. Mm -hmm. I have to, you, I shared these with you yesterday and you did an amazing job. It took me, I don't know, 10 years <laughs> to really get to grips with this. Uh, so congratulations. I think, you know, you, you got to the core of it pretty quickly. Taking a step back, uh, the reason to study it in a systematic fashion is, you know, going to scale, right? You know, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Is because we want... Uh, zero carbon energy to be the standard. And we want the global energy system to be completely changed in the next three to five decades, right? And so we want, and it's, it's, it will not happen if, it is, if our solutions and ideas don't have scale. And to get to scale, we have to be very methodical. We have to be very systematic. We have to be very careful. You know, everything matters, right? Because you know, resources at the disposal, disposal of our societies, communities, leaders are very scarce and challenges, as we all know, and, and the myths of COVID-19 are very limited. So, you know, making things very systematic, understanding and placing our bets uh, in a way that make and go the furthest, uh, that's kind of the, the idea. And we believe that, you know, approaching it from a systematic perspective uh, and using theoretical frameworks helps with that. As you mentioned, Tom, theory of planned behavior or TPB is, you know, I'll, I'll mention is just one of the lenses and you know one of the key takeaways is you know there are different theories that might impress upon different things uh, some more than others but the main purpose here is that there are economic factors right you know there are financial and monetary factors and there are non-monetary non-financial which are more psychological behavioral or even social in nature that's the main pivot, right? It is not a purely financial decision. It turns out that actually is very true in the case of solar, right? For a variety of reasons, I mean, this audience knows it very, very well, but you know, the way I think about it is, you know, solar is a, you know, is, is a decision we don't make very frequently. You know, most of us for that matter have not made it yet. And even if we make it, we'll probably do it, you know, once or twice in our, our lifetimes. And, you know, it costs more and there are not too many of these uh, other things that cost as much, right? Uh, and, and, you know, so it, it makes for all the very different factors, you know, from individual level, past experiences to, you know, peer and social, everything comes to the, to the fore. Time plays a, plays a big role. Now, to more specifically to your question, Tom, and I'll, I'll stop just in a second, is using a framework like this allows you to study the different state of what, what is the status of financial or economic aspects, what is the status of the non-monetary or more of the behavioral and, and social aspects, and then quantify uh, where might be the barriers and the gaps, and then create systematic programs or interventions to go about that. So that's kind of the reason why I really believe tools like this can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great perspective. And, and we'll come to a lot of those elements. We know what, what does it mean uh, to try to determine when a solar customer is ready to purchase? You know, it's one of the things we'll be talking about today. And it's one of the things that theoretical frameworks like this can help us try to figure out. Kelsey, I, I'd like to bounce over to you. Um, um, you're outside the solar industry, but but you study why people make buying decisions. Uh, and in solar, the decision is a big one for, for many people. It's a commitment uh, to do the research, research uh, to spend the time. It's, it's a process. Um, what is, you know, your perspective um, from, uh, you know, to get the project to the finish line? You know, what is the interplay between emotions and making these rational decisions or, or rationalizing a decision in consumer purchasing? Well, you know, one of the things that I would start by is I think uh, one of the, the, the things that I've learned is on our side, we assume that consumers make rational decisions and consumers always assume that they are making a rational decision. And I'll, I'll give you sort of two examples of where that sort of plays out. There's a, a theory called relativity, right? And so a consumer, let's say you went into a store and you saw a pin that cost $25, but in your head, you remembered that at another store, that same pin was on sale for $18. You, 
you might drive, you know, the 15 minutes out of your way to go buy the $18 pin. But in that same vein, if you were out and you were buying a suit and the suit costs $450, and then you remembered that across town there was another suit and that suit costs $443, you probably wouldn't make that drive, even though it's the same $7. And consumers do things like that all the time. And it's largely driven by emotional decisions around how they view, how they use money. Um, and so that's one example of how people confuse um, a decision-making process with what they think is rational. Um, the other is when you apply zero cost. So sometimes we look at zero cost as a just a cost when it there's really a lot of emotion tied to that. And if you think about um, people making irrational choices when you attach free to things, um, even though the free option may actually cost them more when you look at the total package. So let's say someone says, I'm going to give you a free checking account, but over here, the checking account costs $5, but you get, you know, no fees when you go into the bank or you get no check fees um, for bounced checks. People don't always look at the total package. They look at free and they make those types of those types of decisions. And I think that happens across consumer decision-making is we often confuse what we think is rational um, with what was really emotional. And I think when you're, especially when you are marketing a product is really important to understand one, um, how you might misperceive uh, a consumer's behavior. And one, the, the only thing predictable about consumer behavior is that it's going to be irrational and that they're not always going to make a, a rational choice. All right. And I want to dig into that point a little more later, but thanks for that insight, Stan. Let, let's bounce over to you. Uh, you've been installing, you've been installing so, solar for, for over 12 years now, I believe. And along the lines of emotions, rationalization, you know, the drivers that cause folks to go solar, you, you mentioned something interesting when we chatted the other day. You said that if a consumer genuinely understands that going solar means having a different relationship to energy, that is a momentous thing. And I'd like to ask you to just dig into that a little more. There's an emotional component there. There's like this modern energy component, this excitement about energy. Um, you know, what does that mean to you? And why are you, are you trying to drive to that understanding during a sale? You know, are you going to, to try to make that mental switch? You know, and, and pardon my crassness in the question, but is that because it makes the sale, because it makes the conversion? Can, what, what can you tell us about that? Sure. <laughs> well, a couple things I would I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with Kelsey's point that um, you know rationality plays a very limited role in most of our conversations with customers. Um, and maybe to add another dimension to what um, Varun spoke about is you know we're it's not just a decision to go solar, but it's a decision to go solar with a particular partner or company. And so that that dimension sets up a kind of a false premise, what I have, what I've found um, in our conversations with the customer, um, the customer typically uses rationality as kind of their, uh, their landscape of control. So they will evaluate all the different proposals on some oftentimes sort of made up set of, of um, criteria. Um, and that just becomes the rules of engagement. So the comp there, there are companies that will uh, exert all their energies, all their efforts to sort of break through that that veil, and we would you, you, you might classify that as the close. So you know the deal, like you say, is is converted, and mm -hmm. we've um, you know, sort of backed into this from my background as an architect, which is really a process driven set of decisions that evolve over time, and I'd say that has informed my my inclination to. Rather than see it as a close, you should see it as an opening. Um, and sometimes it means the customer goes solar, but not with us. And that would be a success. Um, the, the, the higher success for our business is that they choose to go solar and do it with us. And um, the, the approach to, to keeping sort of in the, as a central tenant that we're, we're aiming for transforming their relationship to energy 
is that the, the, the project, the install, and this is something coming about our, coming out of our industry that the installation is somehow the, uh, the most important action. Um, and, you know, after that, it's all just, um, well, the warranty will take care of things. Um, and we see it really that this is the beginning of a, a fundamentally um, uh, entangled partnership with that customer. Um, and it should drive benefits, mutual benefits for both the customer and the company. But if we start on a footing that is uh, born of mistrust or fragility or a poor experience, then that that long-term relationship is really in jeopardy. So um, for, for many customers, how to rewrite that relationship with energy, it depends on where they're starting. And so we can't normalize or levelize everyone's departure point, but we have to we have to be able to probe and get to a point where we can articulate and listen to what they're actually interested in. And so a big part of what mm-hmm. we do is try to tease out what are those emotional drivers that would lead them to a a, a decision and then empower them based on that. So, yeah. so it's a I'd say it's a um, yeah, kind of multi-dimensional approach, but that's that's our that's sort of the driving principle behind our approach. Great, thank you. And and I want to talk more in a few minutes about how you approach those conversations with sales staff and, and your hiring practices. But Scott, let let's pull you in here. Um, you're in the mix in a slightly different way. You know, unlike in the case of Arun and Stan, they're both both focused on homeowners. Your product, you know, is designed with both the solar contractor in mind plus the homeowner. So when you think about designing a product for two different audiences, how are you balancing, um, you know, the sometimes I imagine competing incentives of those two audiences? You know, maybe the solar contractor wants to close the sale, but the homeowner isn't ready, you know, so is your so- your software is in the middle, you know, um, how do you balance, you know, targeting those different groups? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it can be challenging. I mean, this is a very true where that's the case. I mean, one of the main value propositions of Bodhi is that we help reduce the number of phone calls that a project manager or a CSR has by providing those customers kind of what we call timely and personalized information. And sometimes that goes hand in hand, um, but sometimes it doesn't. So, for example, you know, customers, when they have a question, what they'll want is an answer right away. But then you've got this project manager, on the other hand, who'd rather be working on executing that project rather than spending, let's say, the 30, 15 to 30 minutes on the phone or going down a rabbit hole um, with back and forth text messages. And so for us, it's a really delicate balance. So when we designed the communication feature within Bodhi, what we wanted was we wanted the customer to feel like there's this open line of communication, but we also didn't want to inundate that project manager with tons of messages. And so that's why we purposely designed a very easy to submit one-way um, messaging system that's actually very similar to how you know, people write comments in a Facebook post. And so far, that particular type of design, that user interface, that user experience, has actually worked really well to help manage those customer communications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about communications and how customers get information, what kind of education uh, there is wrapped up in that. I'd like to get to an audience question now, and I think this is a great question to Varun, um, and it gets to the to the heart of today's theme. You know, what is in the mind of the solar consumer? And Varun Lou asks us, why do consumers think that the purchase of solar is out of their reach? You know, so there's a lot to unpack there, but how would you approach answering that question? Great, great, great question. Uh, I think, you know, there, there are primarily two reasons for that. One, I mean, even before getting to this question, right, this, this, this question pre- presumes that the customer is thinking about solar. And that's mm-hmm. the fourth barrier, right? You know, there are so many other things going on. Uh, we already, most of us, uh, at least in the U.S., have access to electricity. Um, and, you know, that's not something we necessarily think about on a daily basis. We do think about how much it costs and so on, but not whether, you know, you will have electricity when you switch, uh, turn the switch on. So the salience and why solar amid so many other things that one can be doing, that's, that's, a, that's a very big portion. And that's where attitudes and communities and so on come into play. Maybe we'll get into that. But, but mm-hmm. more specific to, to this question, there are two reasons. One is 
you know, I mean, as irrational as customers uh, may be, and they are, and, you know, there's a lot of work uh, more broadly, not just solar, including my work, uh, you know, they do care about the money. Otherwise, you know, you would, you would either have zero uh, penetration or, you know, complete penetration, right? So it's, it's somewhere in between. And, and economics are a part of that, no question, right? You know, um, and if the economics are hard and tough, right? So if electricity prices are very low, which they are in certain parts of the U.S. even today, uh, or if we were 10, 15 years ago when costs of solar were very high, and so, you know, comparatively, economics even in California were hard. If that is the case, you know, that's certainly uh, an, an issue. The second piece is even, and that's that's the more interesting. If, so in the first case, you know, the only solution you can really have is provide incentives or, you know, you know rationalize electricity tariffs and so on and so forth, right? The second one, which is also real, and, you know, certainly a lot of my work speaks to that, is even when the economics are, you know, are in the zone where, you know, there is a lot of potential uh, market that, that one could target and turn over, there are lots of misperceptions. There are lots of, you know, uh, mis-anchored beliefs, right? And, and that's, that's why solar is different from buying your pin or a suit, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's not, it's a very infrequent purchase that we make. And the last time my neighbor probably checked was 10 years ago. And it's not, this is, this is true. I was on my front yard this weekend and my neighbor came, we talked about solar and said, you know, I know it's, you know, the payback is 20 years. I said, of course, that is not the case. You know, that's from 10 years ago, uh, 20 years ago belief, right? So, you know, we don't update our beliefs very often. So there are lots of, you know, big misperceptions of, you know, what the costs are, what the economics are, and how easy or how difficult it might be. So I think, you know, that's that the misanchor, the misperceptions about the economics and the process uh, and the infrequent nature of the purchase uh, combined with, is this really salient, where it is salient uh, is the biggest hurdle. Right. I think it's really interesting, the point about we don't update our perceptions. So they're thinking 20 years ago. So it's up to, in a lot of cases, the solar contractor to let that person know like, hey, things have changed, you know, times have changed. You might not know this. It goes to the whole education piece. Kelsey, let's bounce over to you. Um, You talked before about um, how different audiences might try to reach a consumer. So let's, let's imagine a solar entrepreneur. They've started a solar business, they've achieved some success, and now they want to answer the question they keep running against. Why do customers, you know, think the cost of solar is out of their reach? What to what Varun just spoke about? What's the difference between how an entrepreneur might approach answering that question uh, and reaching that sale versus how you might approach answering that question? Um, I think the first thing I would say is it depends on the entrepreneur because a lot of entrepreneurs, especially if you're in tech, they already understand a lot of these things about consumers. It's, it's, it's interesting. The last question, the first thing that popped into my head was people don't always make decisions based on just that price is really what they're placing value on. Because if you take, for example, someone that goes out and they buy a car that's $65,000 and they spend $4,000 to upgrade their seats to leather, that value, that's a lot of money, right? But they'll readily do that. And so I always say for entrepreneurs, it's really, really important for you to be able to hone in on the value of what you're offering because that's really what people um, are, are looking at. And they also look at the cost of doing nothing, right? And so you've got to bridge the gap between making sure they understand the value of their thing, your thing and making sure that the value of your thing outweighs the cost of just doing nothing and sticking with the status quo. But the other things I would say is um, making sure they really understand why consumers in that particular market space are making a decision because it's not always money. Um, and also making sure that you um, base your, your, your pitch directly on needs instead of um, something that's outside that because then it gets murky with how you craft that offering. And so a lot of what we do in user experience is directly tied to conversions and retention. And so we have to think about 
that stuff a lot. And the other thing I would point out is making sure that you are, you keep in mind that the consumer journey doesn't have just one endpoint. It's not just when they purchase, it's how they found out about your product, how they learned about it, how they got introduced to you, what happens when they purchase, what happens after it. It's kind of that secret that companies like Apple have already figured out that it's not just the point of purchase, it's the entire journey and how you string those things together to create that experience around your brand. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Um, let's let's talk about sales for a minute, Stan. Um, you brought something up the other day that really surprised me um, when you talked about sales staff. Um, and it makes me think that I want to loop in this audience question as well. I'll try to add this on at the end, but you said that you you focus on hiring sales staff that are empathetic people. Um, what does that mean in, in terms of effectiveness for your company? You know, what outcomes or cons- customer behaviors are you trying to drive with those kinds of hiring practices? Yeah, um, well, I feel like, Kelsey, maybe we've rehearsed this because I think uh, I'm going to segue off what you just said. Um, um, you know, We I haven't the- rehearsed this. Yeah, right, right. This is all ad hoc. Um, you know, the, the idea of the journey is is absolutely critical for us. And it, it, it goes back to the the um, understanding that the customer, you know, it's not a deal to close. It's a it's a customer to curate towards a what what can be perceived as a as a momentous or risky decision. And so um, having a staff that can um, pick up the the uh, pick up the path at the point where the customer is, as opposed to driving that customer through our scripted methodical process. Um, and I've, I've seen both in action. Um, we've chosen uh, the former really so that the customers can um, operate autonomously with integrity and, and um, in relation to the customers. So for example, if, if we get a lead and we get these funny spikes in the summer um, of leads, but that, that are timed like within a day of when uh, electricity bills are, are sent out or received by a customer. So that's a, that would be a signal to our staff that this customer is feeling pain, but in a very temporal sense. So it's the worst case scenario in the, in the summer in Texas, high bills, and they want a solution to it. So uh, an immediate shock elicits, you know, the question of a long-term strategy, and that's a great place to start. But it's also one that we need to unpack a little bit and understand: do they, does that customer know how electricity is um, sort of metered over the year? Because um, solar ultimately is, um, it's not solving the worst-case scenario, but it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a different hedge. Like I said, it's a, it's a, a comprehensive approach to a new energy paradigm. And so our salespeople would need to pick up on that and understand that their first contact with that customer is not to drive them through, um, you know, the sales funnel, um, step one, two, three, but it's to, it's to get kind of give them some perspective or comfort or um, a path forward of how to both address that immediate problem and set themselves up for success for, you know, the kind of future, future of their relationship to, relationship to solar. So. A staff, and you know, as a either as a sales manager or a director, we, we can't uh, kind of guide them through each of those steps. So they need to come with those tools to be able to have that sensibility. And my my approach has been to hire people that are actually outside of solar, but have been at the call it the sharp end of the uh, of the stick in their life in some other way where listening is the skill that is the differentiator between success and, and failure. And that occurs in many different industries. Um, so we look for people with life experiences, and then we add the, the solar technical background um, to make sure they, they keep kind of keep the solar in the, um, or sorry, keep the customer informed in a way that's, that's relevant and up to date. And, um, and so far it's proven to be successful. We have a strong retention, um, customers understand that they're being listened to. And that's a that's sort of one of the marks that we need to confirm during our process. So if um, if we had a sales funnel, that would be one of the benchmarks that, um, you know, we, we need to sort of check the box 
Tom seems as having some technical issues. I'm the producer, Jessica. And so I will just pick up and we'll continue on from here. Uh, so thank you, Stan. Uh, Scott, he wanted to bounce over to you with another audience question on referrals. Uh, but to set it up, uh, he wanted to pivot and talk a little about solar markets. Let's let's just keep up with with Scott here a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with, with Tom's script here. Uh, can you speak to how the referrals uh, could be a great lead generation tool and how you handle that penetration? Yeah, I think um, I'll try to definitely talk about that. I think um, <clears throat> the probably Varun would be the best to actually talk about that differences in the referral rates between the different markets. We, when we look at it, when our company, 17 Dirots, and, and from Bodhi's uh, perspective, looks at referrals, we kind of look at it from a, uh, well, how do we put that in, in practice? And one of the things that we do when we think about referrals is we use a behavioral framework called the FOG behavior model. And what it is, is it's a framework which helps to really helps us understand how can we start driving particular types of behavior. And so in this case, how do you drive a particular referral? So in this case, Jessica just pulled up a slide. What you have here is the, we really need the convergence of three specific things to really get a behavior to happen. That's, um, and that's under this fog behavior model. First, you need the person to be properly motivated. Second, the person needs to have the capability or the ability to do some, do that particular action. And then third, you need a trigger. What really prompts them to be able to do that? And what's interesting is that there is this um, relationship between that motivation and the ability. So, if it's really hard to do, then the person needs to be highly, highly motivated to do it. But as it gets easier and easier to do, the level of motivation that's required is a lot less. And so this is really interesting when you start to think about referrals with respect to the fog behavior model. And so for example, I was talking to this mid-tier solar installer in North Carolina, and the owner was lamenting that even though he had really high NPS scores, the company just wasn't generating as many referrals as they were expecting. And so if you look at this from the fog behavior model, his customers had the motivation to provide referrals based on that NPS score. But what about that other axis, which was the, the, the in the model, which is the ability. So it turns out for this installer, the only way a customer could actually provide a referral was through a website form or by manually passing the salesperson's contact information to the, um, to the friend or neighbor and assuming that they still had this contact information. So in this case, the ability wasn't sufficiently easy given that level of motivation. But now that you know this and you have the fog behavior model, it's now easy to really try to come up with a fix. So what you do is just make it really easy for the customer to submit a referral. So for example, have a referral function inside a customer app like Bodhi has. So we can, we can talk about it that way. And then maybe um, Varun can talk about the kind of the, the, the rates between the different markets. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, your, your point is right on, Scott, in terms of, you know, the trade-offs between motivation and, and ability. Though I'll, I'll start with an anecdotal experience. I Several years ago, three to five years ago, I referred a friend, I referred a solar installer to a friend and that system got installed. And as part of it, they had promised, I never asked for it, but you know, I'm a professor, I you know, don't make money and I'm not motivated by money. Uh, but I was offered a certain amount of um, referral money, you know, if, if the system was done. And because I never asked for it, I never you know, got it. And I really didn't care about it to ask enough. Uh, but it, 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 it is a lesson, which is what is the tracking system? What is the transparency of the system? What, you know, is it just you know, something that is said at the moment or what is the process? What is the follow through uh, and so on? And you know, there are so many other dimensions of you know, making it easy, making it easy both to provide the referral, but then, you know, for example, is it tied to, you know, if money is not the motivator, if, is it can it be tied to uh, donations and, and so on and so forth, right? So that's one aspect. There, there is a second, there are two other dimensions at least of referrals that I would like to bring to the table. One is once you make a, once somebody makes a referral, what happens then, right? There are also this aspect of motivation and what the attitude of the other person is uh, starts 
to play. So the quality of the referrals uh, themselves and follow up, uh, you know, we can come back with that. And the third dimension is uh, really who, what types of installers are actually using referrals. And there, what we observe in our research is there is actually a split. Largely it is used, but not to the same degree. There, there are groups of installers that depend very heavily on referrals. It can be very uh, productive. At the same time, it is associated with a cyclical nature, right? You know, if you are installing, and especially if those installers are happening in summer, and you know, depending on exactly how your referral system is designed, if you're generating more leads in summer, either you're not able to catch up, or if you're able to catch up, you know, it leads to poor customer experience if you're not going to provide the service and so on. And, and that's a very interesting, the seasonal aspect and goes back to what Stan was saying, you know, when you have a spike in these interests and, you know, you, you make the actual installs, that's, that's a very uh, interesting dilemma that we find. And, you know, so Stan, what, you know, I'm, I'm curious in, you know, what your experience has been or Scott, what you're doing in, in your software system, essentially, how do you smoothen the process, how this temporal aspect of the referral, which we, we observe is actually pretty uh, important, both from the customer experience perspective, as well as, you know, having 100 referrals is good. And let's say, you know, they will have a good chance of success. Can installer actually make good? Stan, do you want to jump in there? And I'll just say that I dropped off for a minute there. Last month we had a town hall and I lost power. And then exactly just now I also lost power. So I don't know. I'm cursed a little bit, but, and I'm sorry, I missed the fog model discussion. What's that Varun? You're just trying to show how solar plus storage can take care of these types of things. Lovely. Well, I hope we got it all figured out. Tom, you should join your, uh, your uh, webinar on Friday with the Generac. They may have something to talk to you about. Right. (laughs) That's a good point. Well, Stan, Um, do you want to lead off there? Well, sure. Just to pick up, I think, um, Varun, you bring up a a really rich topic, um, one one which we've we've recognized some of the the challenges of transparency. And I would say our focus has been on um, not so much how do you make sure the process, this would be a a sort of uh, something we need to focus on more so, um, rather than trying to streamline the process of, of of uh, executing, providing referrals, but how do we create the conditions where referrals are a powerful tool of validating, you know, uh, the customer's experience? And what we've done, what we've what we've experienced over the last two years is that it's actually quite rare that a customer is referred by a single person. So, like having a one-dimensional referral, or say, sort of, you know, just between two customers. Uh, one neighbor to the next. Um, usually, it becomes by committee, and so um, the the complexity of that referral transaction has really grown in the last um, probably in, in, in the last couple of years, where penetration in certain areas has gone up. So we're getting some customers that um, will admit that they've been referred by five people, um, you know, neighbors, colleagues, um, other solar owners. Um, design professionals, and so the the level of validation that's being um, kind of required to motivate seems to have gone up. And so the the question of how do we track that, how do we quantify it, how would we honor that, is has become more complex. I would say. Um, I also would say that we've had many customers that have been repeat referees, um, and in fact, um, you know, have been very explicit that their motivation is simply to call it pay it forward or um, leverage their decision into a larger impact. And that's that's the, uh, the benefit that they're looking for. And so finding a way to make that contribution explicit is something we're, we're beginning to work on is to say, you know, what is the community level impact of our business um, in aggregate and making that explicit back to customers it's just another avenue that validates why referrals would be important. So we personally have had less success, um, I would say driving the uh, financially motivated referral system forward. And it's usually um, based on some dimension of the relation of that com- that customer to their decision, whether it's personal impact, community impact, um, generational impact, like what's their legacy. Um, or just, you know, the, the performance of the thing itself. Um, so 
all to say is it's it's been very topical. It's um, we've underestimated the complexity, but we're engaging it more directly now than we have in the past. Maybe I can pick up on the complexity topic, but Kelsey, you know, solar is uh, a very complex industry and it's becoming more complex for the solar uh, customer to understand. Um, what can you share about how other industries think of complexity and how to address consumer concerns upfront as they, as they try uh, and make those buying decisions in a complex marketplace? Um, one of the things that we try to do right off the bat is remove all of the complexity. And I think um, that it's always challenging because you want to tell people as much about your product and why it would benefit them as, as possible. But sometimes you're adding extra layers of complexity. And the best example I could give you is when um, Apple introduced the iPod, they called it a thousand songs in your pocket, right? Like forget about all of the technology that drives it. They simplified it down to a very memorable thing that would drive people to buy that product. I don't think all products can be simplified in that way, but I think it's important to remember that a lot of times people, again, I, and this is something I mentioned earlier, people aren't deciding between you and some other product. They're deciding between you and doing nothing. And the more you can simplify that and make the, the choice for them easy, um, the better. Um, and I always tell um, people that I'm working with, don't introduce a lot of options either, like two or three. But if you've got like six or seven different paths for people to potentially go down um, in product configuration or um, product selection, all you're doing is complicating the purchasing process and potentially getting them to fall out before they can make that decision. Barun, I, I see you took yourself on mute. Do you want to hop in there? And if not, I do have a direct question about this. I'll, I'll you know, I'll just quickly add to what Kelsey was saying. It, it's, there are three things I really think matter. And it goes back to much of the discussion, many points that uh, Stan highlighted as, as well. This aspect of trust is just so important. What Stan was talking about, empathy and, you know, coming, listening, those that's very important part of the reason is you know i mean we are this was all probably very different decades ago but now you know every week there is something that is being sold to us at our doors right be it pesticides or you know i mean for your backyard or some some other thing so and and you know i mean there is a certain resistance to that in in the from a customer's mind you know of course i'm being sold too right and, and how do you overcome that, right? So I think what Stan was saying, looking forward, is actually becomes even more important, right? You know, going there, of course, sales and turning that over is going to be very important, but it's, it's going to be hard unless, you know, you come across as being a really somebody who has that empathy, who has, is geared entirely towards building that trust process. You know, others can have success, but I think you know that's that's certainly something to be paid uh, attention to. The other thing is something also came up, which in my view is very important, is this aspect of post-installation engagement service. Something I know Scott thinks a lot about. Uh, that's very important. There is, you know, as we and this goes back to the question of early, young versus more mature markets. As we go deeper, you know, customers will ask more questions, they're more risk averse. You know, this is this is known, not just for in this case, but more generally. And what it means is you have to be able to show them that, you know, once the system is installed, you know, you will be there. And if there is some issue with the roof or with the system or something else, you know, it there is a process. There is a mechanism to uh, take care of that. So that's very important. And third piece is showing that experience, you know, can you do the job, right? Uh, you know, these, these three components, I think, are you know, absolutely uh, a must, not for everybody, but there is, especially as we look towards the next wave uh, in different markets, uh, the experience, the service, and the trust. Stan, on that point, um, you brought up something the other day. You talked about the difference between impact for your company and ROI. Um, can you talk about that in the framework of your company culture? You know, how does that distinction that you're making there influence uh, a prospect's decision to go solar with you? 
you know, is that part of your calculus? Yeah, I think it's um, back to some of the things that Kelsey was talking about uh, initially. Um, you know, ROI has become kind of the lingua franca of our industry to say, you know, costs are declining, the ROI is getting better. Um, you know, it's a relationship between incentives, regulations, all that to try to get to what makes sense. And, um, you know, if that's an eight year payback, simple payback, um, financing has made that, um, you know, th there, there are other paths to get there. Um, so that's kind of the, the landscape of rationality that we've, we've all trafficked in. Um, what we've seen is once that is, let's say understood, or at least um, um, unpacked a little bit for a customer, what, what, what comes up more strongly, and um, it sort of draws on deeper emotional reserves that that customer has not been able to articulate, this is sort of customarily, um, is the impact that they they hope to make, and um, and it's the it's the impact that our company sort of sees from the future to today. So we imagine an end state where this transition is is mature, and um, we see that you know all the individual actors are having an impact in um, kind of emergent ways, like uh, you know re retiring fossil fuel. Uh, generating a distributed energy network, all these things, we don't know exactly how they will form, but we have to get there with this with this adoption. So we take the stance that the impact is accessible. Um, how that occurs for an individual customer, um, it, it, it bubbles up, um, like I said, after the rational decision has been sort of, you know, bandied about, and then we have to, we have to support that and empower that. Um, so don't diminish it. Put it in perspective. So make sure it's um, it's correct. It's uh, it's levelized against what the actual expected performance and what they can really expect from this. So it's putting their impact in the in a proper context, but not diminishing it. And um, and that's a that's a collaborative effort between the salesperson and a customer, and or if the customer calls in with a question after the system is up. Anybody in our company needs to needs to have that top of mind that what they're really concerned about is, you know, the decision they made, is it making an impact that they thought it would be? Um, and uh, I think that, you know, to try to get to what that impact is, it's a it's a little bit of a Colombo approach, you know, on the front end. Like, what is it that really interests the, the, the individual about talking with us? Sometimes it's a childhood right. fantasy, you know, and so you, you have to tease that out to put some flesh to that, that conversation of what the impact is. It's not, for us, it's not one dimensional. Um, it actually is nuanced to the individual um, and we need to be sensitive to that. Yeah. I want to start to wrap up here, but I, I'd like to talk a little okay. bit about that kitchen tape. Did you want to Thanks, jump in Scott? Scott? Yeah, real quick. Is just following up on what Stan said. I mean, I think one of the thing, um, thing that might be actually interesting for the industry to start to do or at least um, tr uh, look into is try to see if they can categorize customers into different borrow player types. And so this is a concept that's actually taken from game design theory that suggests that these players of the game can be grouped by really what motivates them. So during that initial sale, what are those folks really, How what's the emotional drivers for them? So there are these four different player types. So there are achievers who are motivated by like being the first, and maybe this is the first person on his or her block to have solar or the first person to um, install sol um, storage. There are also socializers who are motivated by interacting with others. So maybe these are the ones who see others in the neighborhood going solar and they don't want to be left out of that, left out of that conversation. Then you've got the third, which are explorers who are more motivated by learning or exploring the game. And maybe this is about learning all the details or all the different options that they have for the system that's being sold. And then finally, in the bar player types, you have these killers who actually are motivated by causing harm to others. Not exactly where this fits in the solar, but you can imagine like maybe they get, they're motivated by seeing the demise of fossil fuels. So I think this might be able to provide some sort of more systematic way to think about that driver that Stan was talking about. And if you're able to capture that initially during that sale, then that driver is uh, that impact for that specific customer can always be addressed throughout that entire customer journey. 
That's great. I, I'm so glad you chimed in because I was going to ask Varun um, to also to comment on this, but you know, from the behavioral science side, but you know, you tackled a lot of that, but how can companies get a better understanding of what the, what to expect, what the objections might be beforehand I think in about many, a minute or so? Yeah. Many of these things already, already came up, but you know, certainly paying attention to what were, were what were the spark events, right? You know, was it the electricity bill? Many people who are retiring at the cusp of, you know, that's a that's an important one. Door-to-door marketing still appears to be working, right? And and exactly what sparks that interest then, that's, you know, teasing that out is, is going to be very important to Stan's point uh, in terms of, you know, impact, paying attention to that, you know, what are those dimensions and, and making sure that that gets becomes part of the narrative. Uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm just reinforcing, but these are, you know, uh, really important points. And to Scott's aspect of, you know, what's the social uh, arena in which, and the, the way in which, you know, this person or this household plays into, you know, these are all very important to tease out as much early on as possible. Now, the actual point I'll make is as helpful it is to tease this out and going to Kelsey's point, you know, not making your product very complex and, you know, trying to manage it, how do you, do you really have the processes and the service to speak to that, to all the different customer segments? Do you have products and do you have then support and services to really be truthful and honest and be supportive then through the journey? I see that, that, that is a challenge. And this goes back to that we don't install solar very frequently, right? And so that means that any one installer is doing a limited number of these installs and how many variations and how many different types of uh, solutions can they have? And that's where, you know, actors like Scott become very important, where, you know, they come up and they try to provide a platform. Um, and I think, you know, that, that's going to become even more important moving forward. How do you not only tease it out, but, you know, in a truthful, honest, trusted manner, be able to genuinely support that and move that forward? Right. How is your business going to execute on the promises you're making? you know, and help support a healthy solar industry. That's a, it's a great point. Um, we are, I wish we weren't out of time, but, but we are. So I was going to ask everyone for, for their final suggestions, but uh, we, we only have about a minute or so left. So I'd like to just thank our guests for coming today. Varun Rai. Varun is the director of the Energy Institute and University of Texas, Austin. We appreciate your, your time today, Varun. Kelsey Ruger is a product and user experience executive at Hello Alice. Thank you for joining us today. Stan Pipkin is the owner of Lighthouse Solar. Really appreciate you coming today. And of course, Scott Wynn, thanks for helping co-produce this event. Um, we did get some questions um, that we didn't get a chance to answer, but you know, um, I'll I'll ping our guests and, and see if we can get some of those answered and and off to folks. Um, and we'll leave the uh, we'll leave the Zoom window running too. So if folks want to pull the links um, that we shared, they can go ahead and do it. Um, yeah. So thank you all for coming today. Um, we really appreciate you playing a part in our solar community. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.